may be seated. I don't know that there's much better than the opportunity to slow down and celebrate the greatness. Come to join us in that silent night so long ago. Some 700 years prior to that night, when the prior to the birth of the Messiah, Isaiah prophesied that there would be four messianic titles or names that the Christ child would be called. Uh, th these names reflected the work he was to do in the redemption of mankind, and they reflected the, the character that would reveal the, the perfect character of our Heavenly Father. You remember the words of the prophecy from Isaiah. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is what he wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, the administration of everything will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. When you go through that list, I... I think probably the most surprising and even potentially confusing title is Everlasting Father. And we're going to review that in some detail today. But I, I just want to stop and say for a moment that when we ad address the topic of fatherhood, it can be moving for us. While not all of us are our fathers, we've all had one. And we all have memories of the father we had or the one we wanted. Some of us are blessed with fantastic, wonderful memories of a father that was a friend and a counselor. But for others, and sadly perhaps even the majority, this, the, the concept of fatherhood in, induces painful memories. Your, your dad wasn't very good to you, and you, you live with scars from the wounds and the repercussions of a relationship that just never really got off the ground. Still, for others, it wasn't that your, your dad was good or bad, but he just wasn't there. Absent, either, either physically or emotionally, and maybe that one's worse. But for some of us, our, our dad wasn't a part of our lives because of, of death or abandonment, physical or emotional. So talking about fatherhood strikes a chord, but it doesn't make a beautiful sound, rather a painful one. But, but here's what we have to understand about our longing for 
a great relationship with our fathers and the pain of those unmet expectations, it proves our longing for paternal intimacy. All of us have a desire to be intimately connected with our fathers. And so, out of eternity and into time comes the Messiah, who's announcing the good news of the gospel. And the good news is that he, the son given to us, has come to help us know God as our father. Not, not just our father, but the Messiah coming will be known as the everlasting father, a father who checks all the boxes of our hopes and expectations, and who, by the way, will never leave us or forsake us. Now, here's, here's the reality. All of our fathers fell short of the glory of God. All of, just like I do. All of them, because all of us missed the mark. So our fathers weren't perfect, but here's the deal. <laughs> the good news of the gospel. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of being in relationship with the perfect heavenly Father. And through Jesus' life and ministry, what we see is Jesus is actually fulfilling in the flesh the role of the perfect everlasting Father. Which, by the way, gets back to the interesting question that this title raises. How can the childless Son of God be referred to as the Everlasting Father? How can the childless Son of God be referred to as the Everlasting Father? Well, to begin with, we need to understand the culture in which this message, to which this message was delivered. The, these words of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 were written to and received by a highly patriarchal society. Now, what, what exactly does that mean? It means that in that society, the father was the head of the family, the clan, or the tribe. Totally in charge. In, in that role, the father exercises the most power, and as we know, always accompanies power, the father had the most responsibility because the father was tasked with providing, protecting, and setting the course for the family. That was the father's responsibility. So, so the title father wasn't just reserved for one's own dad. Okay, in a patriarchal society, the title father could apply and would apply to the heads of family who were the architects of the family's destiny, who were in charge of setting the course for the family, the clan, or the tribe. Now, a perfect example of this is found in the book of Deuteronomy. When the nation of Israel has pushed through or wandered 
through the wilderness after 40 years, and, and they were on the brink of the promised land. And so Moses knew he wasn't going to be able to go into the promised land with them, and he called a team meeting, everybody gathered together, and he gave them a challenge. He, he was explaining to them that they had a choice to make when they entered the promised land. It was a choice, he said, between death and life. And if they chose to follow God, they would experience abundant life in the land of promise. But if they chose to forsake him and follow the gods of the pagans around them, or, by the way, the God of their desires, the God of their flesh, which is also idolatry, then the result would be death. They would experience curses even in the land God promised to give them. And what Moses does is he reminds them that these choices were based on the promises of God. God promised that they could have life and have it more abundantly in the promised land. But I want you to listen in these verses about who Moses identifies as the persons given the promise. Okay, so I'm reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, and you can just jot those down and look at them later if you want to. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, here's what it says. Moses is telling them, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now... Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers who did he promise? Your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, obviously, obviously, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not the fathers of all those people running around in the wilderness. The fact is they had been long gone by the time those people made it onto the doorstep of the promised land. But... They were the patriarchs. They were the ones who determined that the destiny of the family would be to follow the God who called them and would lead them to the promised land. They were the fathers of their people, just like George Washington is the father of our country. That was the idea. My point is that in their culture, in the group to whom Isaiah was writing, to call someone a father meant so much more than calling them dad. The repercussions were significant. So there's no doubt that when Isaiah prophesied that the son that would be born to you, the Messiah, would be called the everlasting father, they received that message in this context. They understood exactly what it meant that Jesus, as the father of the family, established by his blood, 
would determine the course and destiny, would act like the perfect heavenly father for that family. He, he was going to be the father in the same way that Abraham was the father, but this time, the one playing father would never die. He would never be dead and gone. He would be called the everlasting father because he would provide everlasting oversight and direction for the family. So this son to be born to you would be the everlasting father. Now, what does the word everlasting mean? You, you know it means continual, perpetual, or eternal. When Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will be the everlasting father, it means that his work in the role of father, established in the family established by his blood, would never end. He would never abandon. He would never give up. He would never shirk his duty. The everlasting father would always serve as father of the family. Now, we need to understand this fact as a truth from God's word that we, we sometimes wiggle out of because of circumstances or it's just impossible. But, but here's the truth. In God's economy... There are some responsibilities for fathers. There are some duties that every father should meet. Now, sometimes we live in circumstances where the ideal doesn't exist and other people have to rise to the occasion. But listen, guys, if you're a dad in your family, there are some roles and responsibilities that you have that God has assigned. And what we're going to see from Jesus is that he met these roles and responsibilities perfectly. They are the things that Jesus did to earn the title Everlasting Father. He did the work of the perfect Father. by do He did three things. He did lots more than three, but today we're going to talk about three. Okay, He met physical needs. He met emotional needs. And he met our greatest spiritual need. That's the role of every father. Physical needs, emotional needs, and as much as we can, we point our children to the heavenly father who will meet their spiritual needs. I want to look at those in order briefly today. The Messiah, first, in the role played as everlasting father, he met the physical needs of his family. He literally did and does meet physical needs. He might not meet every need we perceive, but he meets physical needs. There are no end of examples in Scripture. There's no end of Jesus meeting physical needs through his compassionate healing. He, he opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He touched and cleansed the lepers. He, he touched the lame and they walked. 
He even raised people from the dead. He met physical needs. Now, what we understand as everlasting father is that he may not meet all of our physical needs for healing here. But the promise is he's going to meet them there when we join him in heaven. There's one miracle that I want to look at just for a moment that he, he provided in the role of father where he met every physical need in the moment. And it was epic. It's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four Gospels. Do you, does anybody know what it is? If you yell out and you're wrong, I have to correct you. So just a warning. It was the feeding of the 5,000. It's mentioned, it's the one that's mentioned in every Gospel. And in the Gospel of Mark, we discover that the disciples had been assigned to go out on an evangelistic campaign and they were preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and they were healing people and casting out demons. Remarkable ministry that Jesus gave them author the authority to do and empowered them to do it. And so after they finished, they came back and they were so excited. They, they, it was their first time. And so they just wanted to break away with Jesus so they could review what happened and he could coach them up. They were going to watch the film and figure out, you know, celebrate the wins and correct the mistakes. But there were lots of people around Jesus as there always were at this time. And so they said, well, if we're, if we're going to review, we're going to have to get away from these people. We need some quiet time. And so they hopped in the boat, and the scripture says they were just going to the other side, the other side of the lake, way over there. But the people were resourceful, and, and they figured out exactly where they must be going. I guess it was a campsite everybody loved. And so instead of getting in boats, they just ran around the lake and beat them to the spot. And so when Jesus and the disciples got off the boat, there they were. The people they were leaving behind greeted them. And the disciples were extremely agitated because they just wanted to spend some time with, with Jesus. But you know what Jesus did like a good dad? He recognized there's no time off from providing for the family. We, we, we don't get to play selfish. I mean, sometimes I do, but I shouldn't. Because we don't take time off from meeting the needs of our kids. And so when Jesus got off the boat and his disciples were so frustrated that those people were there because they knew what he would do. He had compassion on them. And he began teaching them more about the kingdom of God and pointing them toward the heavenly father. And in, in the meantime, he was healing their diseases and their sicknesses. So the disciples, all the while, you know, just kind of rolling their eyes, when's this going to be over? They saw the opportunity when the sun began to sink in the west. It still does, by the way. I just wanted you to know I know that. They came to Jesus and they said, hey, look, these people haven't eaten all day. And we're out here in the middle of nowhere. 
There isn't a McDonald's or a Popeye's for miles around. And so we need to break up this party and send them away so they can go get something to eat. You're just going to have to do that, Jesus. But Jesus looked at them and famously responded, No, you, you give them something to eat. Have you count, like, you must not be counting. Have you seen all these people? But they knew Jesus was serious, so they went on what they thought to be a fool's errand, and they started looking around for food to feed these 5,000 men, not to mention the women and children with. And they found one little boy who picked up a Happy Meal on the way to the party. And he had five biscuits, right, and two uh, chicken tenders. Actually, it was small fish, but I had to go with the chicken tenders because it's Christian chicken. I'm sure they're eating Christian chicken out here, right? And so they brought this to Jesus, rolling like, what are you going to do with this? And Jesus had the temerity to say, have all the people sit down and get ready to eat. And then Jesus took that food, enough for a small boy. And he said the blessing, he offered it to heaven, and he began to break it up and distribute it. And the scripture says... That day, 5,000 men, besides the women of children, ate and had their fill. They were all satisfied. And they had 12 baskets of leftovers that they gathered at the end of that meal. It was a miracle of epic proportions. And what was the message? Jesus was sending the message that as the everlasting Father, He's going to meet our physical needs. If we'll just trust Him with what little we have, believing by faith that our Father in heaven meets all of our needs according to His riches in glory, he can multiply what we have before our very eyes. In times of want, our everlasting Father knows what we need and will provide it. Just as He did that day for those 5,000 plus people in the wilderness. But Jesus doesn't just meet our physical needs. He also meets our emotional needs. Always has. Now, what does an emotional need require? It, it requires compassion. Compassion is to be with passion. It is when, when I'm compassionate for someone, I'm stepping into their shoes and we've learned that the Messiah steps into our shoes. He came to be with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And a good father recognizes, even if it's against his nature, a good father recognizes the need for compassion. There are times when a father knows, it just knows it intuitively, that punishing 
his children for some transgression is going to do more damage than good. For some transgressions, not all, but for some. Sometimes because of humiliation or the natural consequences of a poor choice, a child needs a hug, not a timeout or a spanking. Sometimes. And in those moments, the perfect father, the perfect heavenly father, you know what he does? He withholds his wrath slow to anger and he extends his mercy to meet the emotional need of the moment see God knows that Satan is trying to wrap us in shame and compassionately as the perfect heavenly father there are times where he puts his arm around us and relieves the pain Jesus demonstrated that kind of fatherly compassion in John chapter 8. You'll, you'll remember the story. It was early in the morning, and he had gone to the temple where he intended to teach the people more about the kingdom of God. And, but but the, by this time, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they had gotten sideways with Jesus. They were worried that he was going to steal all of their followers and so they decided that they were going to take advantage of that opportunity to discredit Jesus. And so as he was teaching in the temple courtyard where people gathered, they came bursting into the scene with a woman in tow. And she was hurting. And they explained to Jesus that she had been caught in adultery. And they reminded him that the law said that women like that should be stoned to death. And by the way, we know that she wasn't alone when they caught her. But she was alone then. Somebody was missing. Jesus knew it. And he, he knew exactly what they were doing, that they were shaming this woman, but she was just a pawn in their game to destroy him. This was an emotionally humiliating, emotionally devastating scene of shame for this woman who made a poor choice. And immediately, Jesus had compassion on her. And he moved to meet her emotional need. Do you remember what happened? When they came in, we should stone her. Do you know what he did? He just bent down and he started, he started riding on the ground. And they pressed him. We need an answer because they were ready. Whatever he said, he was going to lose. They pressed him for what they should do. And here, here's, here's how he responded. He said, hey, let, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Hey, there's only one guy at the party without sin. 
after he said that, he bent down and started writing in the ground again. They pressed him again. He just continued writing. We have no idea what he wrote. Maybe it was the sins they were struggling with. But the scripture says that one by one, beginning with the oldest, i.e. the ones who had the most history with sin, they just dropped their rocks and walked away. And there were only two people left. It was Jesus and this poor, disgraced, shamed woman. And John records what happened in John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Jesus straightened up and looked around and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So here's this poor woman living a difficult life, emotionally devastated, By a bad choice. And she met face to face with the Messiah who acted with the restorative compassion of the everlasting Father. He who had every right to condemn her. Every right. Let the one who has no sin throw the first stone. He chose not to. Instead, he offered her some good fatherly advice. Hey, put this behind you. Walk away. Stay out of sin. You know what he did? He put his arm around her like a good father. This isn't who you are. You can make better choices. Move on. Don't stay in this moment. Don't let those people shame you. You're not condemned. I'm the only one who could. But he didn't. He met her emotional need. I want you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 103. And I just want you to listen to this passage of Scripture, verses 8 through 14. It's a description of the compassionate, heavenly, everlasting Father. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate 
and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion or ought to have compassion. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Knowing his children, the Messiah, the everlasting Father, meets our emotional needs with compassion. He meets your emotional needs with compassion. He meets physical needs, he meets emotional needs, but he doesn't stop there. He meets our greatest need, which is the need to be spiritually connected with our Heavenly Father. This, this by the way, is the destiny-defining act of our everlasting Father. Mark chapter 2 opens with Jesus in a home in Capernaum and he's teaching again about the kingdom of God and he's healing people and the place is so packed that when four guys arrive with their friend paralyzed on a mat, they can't get to Jesus. And so you guys know the story, right? You know what they do. They, they climb onto the roof of the house and they figure out where Jesus is down there teaching and they begin to claw, to just to rip the roof off. And they make a hole big enough to drop the mat that the man is lying in down at the feet of Jesus. And the scripture says, Jesus who's teaching you, I'm, I'm thinking he knows exactly what's coming, right? He's looking up and the dust particles are falling and the light begins to come through the roof. And he looks up and that man drops. And the scripture says, when he saw their faith, the faith of the four men, he looked at that man and said, hey, be healed, hop up and run home. That's not what he said. You know what he said? Son, your sins are forgiven. Really? Who is this guy? Carpenter. Rolling around here, forgiving people of their sins. And the scripture says there, there were some Pharisees, teachers of the law, on the front row trying to figure out who he was. And they're thinking to themselves, no, 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 no. Nobody can forgive sins except the Father. God alone can forgive sins. And Jesus, of course, knew exactly what they were thinking. And to show that he was operating with the authority of the Father, he looked at them and asked this question. Look at verse 9 of Mark chapter 2. Let me ask you, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? Well, the easier thing to say would be your sins are forgiven. Because, why? Because you can't prove whether they were forgiven or not. 
it'd be much harder to get to, for have a paralyzed man hop up off the mat and roll home, right? Run home. Much more difficult. So Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. And he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of everyone and the place was packed. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Listen, the man's greatest need was the spiritual need. It was the first need Jesus met. Son, your sins are forgiven. He needed to be forgiven, but he could only be forgiven by the everlasting Father. Because everybody knew that only God could forgive sins. Now, in that moment, Jesus, as a compassionate father, took care of his physical need, but he also took care of his spiritual need by extending forgiveness. Listen, that's our greatest need. Our biggest problem is that we have fallen short of God's glory because we have sinned. And the scripture says when we miss the mark, we are separated from our creator. And the, what, the wages of our sin is death. But the free gift of God through Jesus Christ is eternal life. It requires forgiveness. And so Jesus, in the flesh, walking around, decided to meet Our greatest need. He handles the physical stuff. He handles the emotional stuff. And he handles the spiritual stuff. The son that was born to us stepped out of heaven and landed in a wooden manger. That's just the beginning of his journey. The journey led him to a wooden cross where he would die. It's not just the guy on the mat that needed his sins forgiven. It, we, we are all of us on that mat. And our everlasting Father went to the cross died, shed his blood that we could be forgiven of our sins. And in doing so, he shaped the eternal destiny of his family. You know who's a part of that family? Those who trust the blood. His blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Not everybody, not everybody is connected with our everlasting Father. That connection is by His grace through your faith. 
Here's the question today. Are you a part of the family? There's a perfect, heavenly, everlasting Father who says, I I love you. I'll meet your physical needs. I'll meet your emotional needs. And I'll meet your spiritual needs. But you have to come to me. You have to trust me by faith. And then walk with me. Walk with me. And I'll show you the riches of your Heavenly Father. Will you bow your heads and pray with me today? First, let me just ask, are you a child of the everlasting Father? Have you come to the place where you have trusted Jesus? Listen, here, here's the beauty of, that, of the message today. All of us have sinned. We are all of us like the woman caught in adultery. That may not be our sin, but we've all fallen short. And so we, we can, we're brought into the presence of God. Jesus, our compassionate, everlasting Father, He's the only one who can condemn us because He's the only one who lived a perfect life. But listen, the reason He lived that perfect life was not so He could condemn us, but so He could forgive us. He who could throw the rock, who could throw those stones, actually chose not to. He chose to submit to his own death on the cross so we could be forgiven. Have have you trusted Jesus? Have you placed your faith in the everlasting Father whose blood shaped the destiny of his family? He's still providing. He's still meeting needs for those who trust him. If you haven't, if you're not a part of his family, I would just encourage you today to open your heart and place your faith and trust in him. He did all the work. You just have to believe. And believing in what he did for you will change your life. If you want to become a believer today, you can just say a simple prayer in your heart. Say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you don't treat me as my sins deserve. Thank you that you deal with me compassionately. That you died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins and you've been raised from the dead. We could have a life just like Moses told those kids in the wilderness. Look, you've got a choice to make. I want want you to know today, if you're not a believer in Jesus, you have a choice to make. Choose today, life or death, blessing or curses. Choose faith in Jesus.
who is worthy of your trust. And for those who have trusted him, hey, let, let's determine to follow him. Let's present the characteristics of the everlasting father. Let, let's, let's meet physical needs, emotional needs, and spiritual needs in our families and in our spheres of influence. Let's point people to the heavenly father just like Jesus did. It's not only our responsibility, it is our privilege. Father, thank you so much for sending your son to be the everlasting father. May we honor him by letting our light shine with gratitude for what he did for us. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. And...